Welcome, everyone. Hi. I'm about as excited as I can be. This is so fantastic. I'm so excited that you're here. How wonderful. I want to start by praying. Would you bow with me? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we get to be here. What a joy. What an amazing thing with crying babies and Lord, act like it's the North Pole outside. So dark. But to have light in here and to have fellowship and to have the wonder of your gospel. And Lord, I pray that this might be a really refreshing evening and tomorrow and just this whole time might be sweet because you've been so sweet to us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I, I want to start by a couple things. One is welcome. And the welcome is it's so amazing that you're here. We're looking forward to tonight and tomorrow and all these things. I, it's um, really, really exciting. I want to start with a couple of housekeeping things. If you don't have a program, you should get one. Not because there's space to write inside, but because on the back there's a schedule of what's happening. And so I just want to real briefly go over that with you. But before I even say that, the very most important thing I'm going to say this whole time, you guys can guess it, huh? The bathroom's over there. They're in that corner. The guys and the gals are over there. Anytime, get up. You can head out through the kitchen, which is right here, or that door over there, and you go over, and there's an M and a W, and, and you can find the restrooms over there. Tonight, we're, um, this introduction we're doing right now, and then... Uh, we're going to sing, and we're going to worship in song together, and then we'll be talking about First John. And then after that, if you'd like, you can hit, if you're not from Bellingham, um, or even if you are, I, I look at this, we put together a little place of Bellingham Hangouts, and that is in your program and in there, and if you'd like to go somewhere, I haven't been to 90% of these. Um, so don't get mad at me. It says there's a brewery or whatever. So there's fun things, but these have been vouched for. There's ice cream, there's desserts, there's... Uh, fun places to go. So if you'd like to do that later on, and I know that Jim, where's Jim? Jim wants to go to Twin, and that's not a mountain. That's a place. So, okay, so Jim's heading there, and we can, we can uh, make sure we headed the right way. Um, second, Jim has written books, and he brought books with him, Grace and Community and uh, The Romance of Grace. And I've heard he'll sign them if you buy one from him. He'll sign it on every page or just the front page? <laughs> Seriously, though, if you'd like one, Grace and Community, Romance of Grace, he's got those, and we'll mention them tomorrow, too. But. And then, um, why we're here. I want to take, take a minute. This is a special, special time, and many of you, this is your home church, and you're here with us, and, and you get to hear me all the time, but I am so excited to hear from Marnie, from Jeff, from Jim, from different people about this amazing message of grace that we know. And this year, particularly, what we're talking about is yes, but. And we don't mean to be negative all the time. In fact, there was a lot of discussion of what we could even do because what we want to do is just rejoice in the gospel. The gospel is amazing. Jesus Christ died for me. He forgives me. He died for my sin. And I know all that. I, I've been taught that. I read it in the Bible. It's the word of God. And yet, dare I say, but. I'm bombarded by messages all the time that drag me away. One of the weirdest I guess it's not so weird, but it's, it's saddening to me that the messages that I hear all the time that drag me away are from within the Christian church. How can that be? And so what we decided to do, our little team that did this conference, was to take, not to shy away, but to take some of the passages that you may have heard that drag you away from the gospel 
And my goal, our goal, is that you might be able to stand and say, no, I receive Jesus, and that is my confidence. I believe it, that he has died for me. And instead of some of the other messages that are out there. So, so that, that's kind of why we're doing what we do. I, I, I put it up like this, and, and I don't know if you can hit D on the, on the uh, lighting. The lighting's a little off, I think. But, but if you... Um, the wonder of Jesus is like this amazing ice cream cone that we've been given. I don't, you guys like ice cream? Is ice cream okay? As long as it's not pistachio, I'm okay. But if it's pistachio, I'm out. But if it's not pistachio, I like it. So if I think how fantastic I get this ice cream cone, and yet that's why we did this, it's like it seems like it gets spilled. And a little bit the wonder of Jesus for me, and I receive Christ, and I hear how awesome he is. But then, and so I wanted to show you this, this little clip um, about what a bait and switch is. You know what a bait and switch is? Well, look at this one and dim all the lights for you and see if we can see it. And, uh, and let's, let's play this. So you get the idea, right? And nothing against you ladies, but you think you're getting one thing, and all of a sudden you get another. And so often in Christianity, it's a little bit like that. We hear this amazing news that Jesus died for me. We hear we get salvation in heaven by trusting him alone. And then it seems to sneak in the back door that that's not really what you get. You've got to do some other stuff, you see. Keep the law. Get more sanctified. Get rid of sin. Love people, do better, improve yourself, progress and all. These things start sneaking in that if you don't do these, then you didn't really get the gift, the ice cream cone. And so we want to explore that. We're going to explore it head on. And we're going to ask you not to just hear and listen and say, oh, yeah, well, this has to be because someone up front is talking about it. But we're going to look at the Bible and look at some of these pieces to say, is it true that it's a gift? And if so, what does that mean for you and me? that we can rejoice together in that. So that's my introduction to what we're doing. That's why it's real-life grace um, that we're talking about the yes buts, and we're doing First John, we're doing the law, we're looking at James 2, which is faith and works, and 1 Corinthians 6, and some of these real passages in the Bible to say, hey, what do they say? What do they mean? So I'm looking forward to that together. 
um, lots of time for Q&A, a little bit of time to hang out together. Can I just get a show of hands tonight? Who's not from this church? Raise your hand if you go somewhere else. Yeah, so that's a good, I'd say, a third, quarter of us. That's good. Fantastic. Welcome. I'm glad you guys are here. Super fantastic. And, uh, okay, what we want to do first is have the guys come on up. And we have pretty special we get to, um, I say guys, but worship people. Um, Siona Savini is coming from the Master's Seminary down, or it's college, university, I don't know, wherever, far away. And I'm really happy to have all of our team to um, lead us in worship and have a time of really settling your heart and worshiping our Savior, and I invite you to that. you stand with us as we worship the Lord together? This first song we're going to sing is called Jesus is Lord, and it's really simple, and I'm just going to invite you to, to join in with me when you learn it. So the first line goes... Step the fall. 
together because he is and in spite of who we are in spite of what we've done God fully loves us that he has forgiven us for every single sin that he has made us worthy that he is our righteousness is the reason that we sing with genuine joy knowing that even though our emotions may swing that the truth remains steadfast that we have a steadfast hope in the Lord we love him because he first loved us. Let's sing that again. Sing, you are holy. We're singing, you are holy. Great and mighty. The moon and the stars declare who you are. I'm so unworthy, but still you love me forever. My heart will sing of how great.
to him I own. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. greatest fear, our greatest sin, 
our greatest debt has been paid. God, we no longer fear. We no longer feel shame. God, we live in freedom because you have set us free. And we love the fact, Lord, that you love to love us, that you rejoice to love us. It gives you joy to set us free. Lord, may we live in light of that. May we live being reminded of the gospel on a daily basis, Lord. Humble us by your love. And I pray that as this conference continues, Lord, that we would just rejoice together and that we would be reminded of the freedom that we have in you and the goodness of the God that we serve and the God that we love. We praise your name. Amen. speakers means that I'd be subjecting you maybe to some bad noises. So I'll stand up here, but um, this is really special that we get tonight, especially in our body. What I do on Sundays is go through the Bible verse by verse, and to take a step back and spend some time together talking about big picture things and talking about really important concepts. Um, This is the Real Life Grace Conference, and I don't know, this was birthed, and many of you may not know this, is birthed out out of a Facebook page in some respects. It has now 500 or so people, of broken people that found a corner of Facebook to talk about the reality of grace and how important it is. And within that little corner, because when you go outside the little corner, people seem to take baseball bats to you with great frequency. And even we take baseball bats to ourselves. And so what what this is a chance is to take a step back and to really look at some of the things that bring us such problems and to come back to the reality of what the gospel really is and to move away from the inward turn of self-examination and to fix our eyes on Jesus and to receive him. I know that, um, so I get to play with slides more than usual and I really like it. I, I love the thing of, of, of the gospel and, and my favorite one word of the Bible, which is, it is finished, it's just one word, that Jesus on the cross says, it's finished. Receive that? Amen. He died for us, his blood for us. Jesus forgives you by his blood. You and I are clean, and that's it. And, and some of our very favorites say, how do I prove that? Well, the, the, the verses we love, I don't need to put a reference on this one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's, oh, come on, all together. That's not in the Bible, says McNeely. He's always a problem, <laughs> John 3.16, right? John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever trusts him, whoever believes in him, shouldn't perish but have eternal life. And these amazing, wondrous truths that the word brings, the word who is Jesus. And, And it enters my heart and it begins to create in me this amazing, wondrous freedom. This knowledge that Jesus has paid it all. And that's where we want to focus, and that's where we want to spend our time. Like I give you this quote. This is from um, The Freedom of the Christian. Martin Luther said, it, it ought to be the primary goal of every Christian to put aside confidence in works and grow stronger in the belief that we've been saved by faith alone. Through this faith, the Christian should increase in the knowledge, not of works, but of Christ Jesus and the benefits of his death and resurrection. Because as we do that, the works we do are good. 
amazing stuff. And I, I, I get back to this ice cream cone and the astonished wonder of the freedom and rescue and adoption and forgiveness and cleansing and these great Bible words of Jesus, who Jesus is for us. So, yes, Jesus, but. And now I'm making the but big. Because the but is big. And, and I don't care who you are, and I've never met anybody who doesn't have huge buts that come up when we just talk about Christ alone. Because it's our nature, it's our fallen nature, it's the way that we are. We're meritorious people, we're judges, we're people who take a look and we look and we say, oh, but there's got to be something of me. And so the but that I get to talk about is the but of First John. I say, well, why is that a but? It's a but because if you've lived in my stream, and I don't know what stream of Christianity you've come from, but I've come from a long stream of Christianity that thought First John over and over as tests to see if you're really a Christian. You ever heard that? Let me show you a couple just so you, you see it. This is uh, John MacArthur. who I'm, I'm mentioning specific people, but I know John MacArthur. I went to a seminary. I, he thinks I'm a veterinarian, which is too bad, but because but I was a doctor, but he always called me a vet. But, but I, a wonderful man, absolutely wonderful man, says this about, for, about, about Christians. How can you tell a true Christian? Take it in, you guys. Look in the mirror. How can you tell a Christian? Not by sentiment, not by mystical feeling, but by what? Obedience. And I started thinking, yeah, I mean... Love God, love people. The law is clear. Says what we're to do. Is that a true Christian? Or um, that comes from, for example, Jonathan Edwards said this. As the principal evidence of life is motion, so the principal evidence of saving grace is holy practice. How is your holy practice doing? Because if that's the evidence that you're saved, then that's the marker by which we begin to say, okay, is it true of me, of you? Um, that, that's, that's a difficult thing. You say, well, they're just talking about sort of post-Christian things that you need to, to try your hardest to do well. No, no, no. Well, look at this clip for me. This is another man who I have interacted with and know. His name is Steve Lawson. Turn down the. Oh, I don't know if those restarted. If we can't, I want to want to make sure people hear it. So turn the sound on. And turn the the uh, lights on. Um, when I preached First John and the necessary evidences of the new birth, it rocked the planet <laughs> for good and for worse. <laughs> and if you do not see this evidence in your life. You are not saved. You are self-deceived. You have never been born again. And I mean across the board. It's not three out of these nine. It's not a multiple choice. All nine of these will be evident and present in your life if you are born of God, if you know God. And if not, you're going to hell. Okay. Serious stuff, and I'm sorry to start us so seriously, but this is where we live. These are men who, who um, I, I respect, people who have spent their lives preaching the word of God, and they say these things to you, and they say these things across our country, 
and they say these things that enter your life and enter your heart and begin to say, the reason I can be saved is do I pass the nine tests? And I know there's some of you sitting here right now that are like, wow, I wonder what the nine tests are. And, 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 and I'm not going to list them for you because he's got nine, MacArthur has 12, Piper's got 15, and they all come from First John. And they come and they say, okay, the, the thing that's happening is they're saying, are you really a Christian? If you are, you will have this. And they are things that you, in the mirror, or at your navel, can examine and see. This is why it's a but. Yes, Jesus did these things for you. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, Jesus shed it, his blood for you. But... If you don't pass these tests, you aren't saved. Are you saved? The question is what? How are you doing? That's what what they're saying. And, And this is so important. And the reason why it's important for us to address is that it's really easy to just come and say, oh, this is absolutely not true. By the way, I'll just, some of the tests I can tell you. Do you obey the scriptures? Do you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? Do you receive answers to your prayers? Do you love Christ and eagerly wait for his return? Do you love other people? The list goes on. Have you suffered on account of your faith in Christ? Are you desiring to be with God? Are you sinning less? The summary is your faith isn't real and you're not Christ if these things aren't happened. And these are not crackpots. They're not guys on late night TV. And I look at them, I see their seriousness, I see their conviction, I see that they're saying, and I'm tempted. And the short answer I would say, the short answer I want to say is hogwash. Why do I want to say that? Because he doesn't do all nine of those commandments. As much as I respect Mr. Lawson. Right? Unless he qualifies them mightily. Obey the scriptures. The best you can say is that you try, not that you do. Decreasing pattern of sin, love other people, compared to who? Quantifiably, like 1 Corinthians 13, no way. Not doing it. According to them, no one goes to heaven. And, and, and even as you say that and you kind of push back, the, the reality that what we have to go at is not so much that we say, oh, well, we know better than these learned men. No, 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 because who am I but nobody? What they're doing is they're taking this from the Bible. They're saying this is God's word to you. They're saying this is, it's just the, the fact of the word, and I'm being brave to tell you, they would say, they've said it to me, I'm being brave to tell you that, and stand up and tell you that unless you turn from your ways, you're going to hell. Right? Not like, they think, they, that's, that's what you think. So the thing we have to address isn't, isn't that we pick apart how they say it or we say, hey, how, what foolishness. It's what does the Bible say? And can you be solid and certain, you and me, to hear the word of God from the word and say, I receive Jesus and I receive the message who is the word and, and not, not, not tear down a person. So therefore, you've got to deal with First John because that's where they're going and that's where they've come from. Why do I say that? Well, take a look with me. I'll put a couple up. We're, we, we can't deal with all of, we don't have time. We could be here all night. And I, hey, to conference, you guys don't need to go out tonight. We have till midnight. One, thank you. 
Okay, so, and by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. There it is. You know Jesus, salvation, if you what? Keep his commandments. You keep his commandments? If you say yes, you're okay. If you say no, you're not. That, that's what they'd say, right? How about 1 John 3, verse 6? No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So, you don't know Jesus if you keep on sinning. That, that, that's the thought, right? They're, they're not out of line. They're not somehow wildly misinterpreting. They're taking a verse, and this is the verse, and they say, there it is. And how are you doing with keeping on sinning? You need to practice not sinning in order to go to heaven. Or 1 John 3, 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. There's a good one. Are you practicing righteousness? I love the word practice. I loved it in medicine. I practice on people. I practice. I try. Am I doing good enough? One more. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Are you loving? If you don't love, you don't know God. Therefore, you're not a Christian. You know what? I made a mistake. I'm sorry, you guys. I should have started this whole thing with a trigger warning. Because this is real life grace. Where people have been broken by the church. I just said all this stuff to you and you probably want to run away. I'd want to. If this is true, this is what we've been told our whole lives. Hey, here's the Bible. Here it is. It's a hammer. They hit you over the head with it. They say, this is what the truth is. If you've got to go do these things. And it's the word of God. And so I get it. These Bible teachers, MacArthur, Lawson, all the Reformed guys, they think they're being brave and true. And they're just telling you what the Bible says. And the issue's not with us, they'd say, you know. The, the issue's with God. You, grace person, you're light on sin. You're light on duty. You're light on sanctification. You're light on love. You're light on all these things. And if you really are, you're not God's. Sure, in Christ you're forgiven and cleansed. You, you have no sin in yourself. You have no hope. This is the message of 1 John. But what's going on? This is why we have to take time like this at a conference. Because if all you're going to do is soundbite, all you're going to do is take test verses. If all I'm going to do is pick out like I just did little verses. There's no way to win. I can make the Bible mean absolutely anything if I can take one sentence lines. I can make it say, flee your country immediately and get you in a suitcase and go to Brazil. If you're not careful, the work of the Bible is to go and get the context and the frame and what it means and the meanings and the definitions and the lenses. So we're going to do that a little bit with these passages tonight to fight this viewpoint that confidence is only for those who have personal evidence in themselves of moral and behavioral change, that somehow without this you're not saved. This is the position of people who push back against your only hope is the received blood of Jesus, full stop. Proclaimed by the preacher, received as you participate in his body and blood, you have him. The, the word is Jesus. Our hope is him. We have no hope in ourselves, not before or after we receive this word. The receiving is the abandoning hope in us, putting hope in him. 
that's where we live. By the way, this is all true. I mean, we've identified the problem, I think, pretty well. I believe I'm understanding these interpreters of the Bible who take away from the gospel of trust and add in self-improvement. They think because the Bible says so, and maybe you're liking tax. It does say so, but I just want to observe this. If this is true, these 50 statements that we just looked at, we, all of us, are done, Right? If you're really going to take them at face value, as they have done, can I just really fast? I know we don't have tons of time because i got some ground to cover with us. By this we know we've come to know him, but we keep his commandments. The whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to show you you do not keep the commandments of God. Have you ever gotten angry at your brother? You better say yes, and don't just say I don't have a brother. Kid, sister, wife, anybody, guy on the freeway, you've murdered them. The commandments of God are so stinking high that every single person cracks on it. So if, if the reality is, by this we know we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments, I know I don't know him. Or no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. I, okay. I think I sinned in the last three seconds. I don't think I ever don't sin. To not sin is to have God's mind all the time. You deviate even a tiny bit from God's view of anything. That's called missing the mark. That's sin. <laughs> right? Little children, let no one, whoever practices righteousness is righteous. If you practice, you practice always, always right. The best you're ever going to do is to say, I try really hard. It's not what it says. We, we, we need to look at that. But I just want you to see that, that the very observations we're doing is that you and I don't accomplish these things. We fail. To claim that you do these things is to damage the plain reading of Scripture. So if we're going to stand on Scripture, we have a very high law, and you do not bring it down. Because the law, the commands, the, the statements, they say, you, you need this. So let's do the heavy lifting, though. Let's do the heavy lifting and actually look at a few of these passages because my hope is that you would take them in and look at them yourselves and see the context in the frame and understand what John is doing. And it's not giving you tests. Okay, so to do that, you've got to have definitions and context. You've got to look at lenses at the Bible. Everybody does. But definitions means words matter and what concepts that are being written about in the Bible have meaning. And you can't just... Make them mean what you want. And then secondarily, context. I mean, context is king, right? Context, context, context. What's, what is he actually addressing and what is he walking through? So let's take those things and talk about them. If you have your Bible and want to look along, you can. I'll put the, all the stuff on the board. But we're going to look at First John with the idea of, is it true what these teachers are telling me? That I've got to pass the test. Okay, so this, this is the beginning of First John. It says, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Somebody tell me what the word of life is. Yeah, Jesus, right? Really obvious he's not talking about Old Testament scripture in the sense of the Ten Commandments when you start talking about what he thinks the word is. What's the word? I should have said, who's the word? 
that which I touched, that which was manifest, and he keeps on going, right? The life was made manifest. We've seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifest with us. The word that John is thinking of is Jesus. Not instructions. Sometimes we, take, we say the word Bible, and, and what we mean is this literal take on what we can figure out in it to try and find a rule for me to follow in order to work on myself. And John's saying, I'm coming to this with this living word that I'm proclaiming to you. His name is Jesus. Okay, so we hold that there. What's the purpose? He says that at the end. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's you and me. That you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, what that tells me is these guys aren't wrong. The reason why John's writing is he wants you and me to know that we have eternal life. He's not wrong except for this. Does anyone ever hear these ten things you got to do and know that they have eternal life? I start listening. I start thinking. I start chewing on. I got to love like Jesus loved. I got to not sin. I gotta, I gotta obey. I gotta keep all the Ten Commandments, and I start thinking about my life. And the Word gets in there, and the Law does its work, and I realize I don't. If that's the answer, I don't have eternal life. So if the idea is I'm going to give you this lump of things, and you're going to test and see if you're going to do it. And the things, when you really look at them closely, lead every single person to, to perceive that they are not in the kingdom then that's going against the purpose of 1 John. So there, there's, there's something else going on. And that's the frame. The frame, whenever you look at the Bible, whenever you start to read a letter, whenever you actually go in and say, okay, I want to know the purpose of what's going on here. I want to know Ephesians, and I'm going to talk about it. You've got to see that there's three chapters of just not a single thing for you to do. And here's Jesus who's done everything. And then finally in chapter 4, there's five walks. And there's, there's a frame, there's a structure, there's something you're supposed to see around it. First John is no different. He's writing with a frame. You, you look at the picture through a frame. What's the frame? The beginning. Look at it with me. It says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we are talking perfections here. We're not talking try. We're talking light and darkness. We're talking dichotomous things. And, and, and he says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. We, we got our glasses on tonight. We're, we're, we're digging in. You got to say, okay, well, door number one, which is what you heard Steve Lawson say and the test of the things, this all goes fine with that because what it says is that the message we've heard, God's light, there's no darkness in him. And, and if we say that we have fellowship with God, but we have darkness in us, oh, we're done. No sin in us can be had. So, so, so what we're tempted to do is to translate and to think, okay, light is holy living and dark is sinful living. And so we keep going. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I say, yes, I get it. What's going on is that, is that if I leave my sin and I 
I walk in holiness and personal abilities, then I have good goodness over here and those bad things can be over there. It works until now. And then it falls apart. Why? Looks what he says. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Wait a minute. If I'm walking in the light already, why do I need the cleansing sin of blood of Jesus? Right? I'm walking in the light first. And I know then that the blood of Jesus cleanses me from sin. That's what he's saying. If I walk in the light, okay, I'm walking. Now the blood of Jesus cleanses me from sin. I I wasn't. So something's going on where walking in the light isn't sinless morality. Not only that, keep on going, right? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Okay, okay, do you get what he's doing? He's saying, hey, wait, wait. Walking in the light is nowhere near sinlessness. It has nothing to do with sinlessness. It's you saying that you're sinful. So this whole idea in 1 John, it's the frame. He's walking into it. He's saying, okay, you and I, we trust Jesus. We're walking in the light. God is in the light. What's that? That's transparency. That's agreeing with God that you can't do it, and he has done it. That's the idea of confession, right? That's exactly where he goes. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here, right at the beginning in 1 John 1, 5 to 9, he sets out what he's thinking. It's not that you are sin-free. It's that you're walking in the light, that you've received this word that says, the law has condemned me and the gospel has proclaimed to me that Jesus Christ is is my everything, and I agree. And then hear the word that he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you. Right? The, this, is the, this is the passage. Light is not sin-freeness. The whole frame of First John is that you continue to sin. You who walk in the light as God is in the light, and you continue to sin. There's no sinning less here. Just as if you say, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. So to walk in darkness is to hide from acknowledging that you're a failure at sin management. It's to wear a mask and say, oh yeah, I'm accomplishing the tests, you see. It's kind of like the opposite of that. It's not I'm okay. It's I'm not okay. And walking in the light is agreeing with God that you don't measure up in yourself. And any of this is confession of who you are. This simple acknowledgement of sin leads to the word being true. Jesus, the good news, he forgives your sin. He cleanses you. It's his action. That's the message of First John. There were people who said they weren't sinners. There were people who said, oh, yeah, and you know what? It doesn't matter. This sin just stuff doesn't matter. And we come along and say, no, sin matters incredibly. The law is true. The law is beautiful. It condemns me. But my only hope is this Jesus. I agree with God. Okay, so I'm there. So that's our frame. Here's the frame. We are walking in the light, not sinlessness, but confession. You cannot save yourself. You continue to sin. You trust Jesus to forgive and cleanse you. And and trust is not some work. Trust is an acknowledgement of what's true, our only hope. Okay. If you've come with me this far, 
say, fine, all this heavy sledding, but we're just now to the point to get rid of the butts. Now that you have the tools, right? Now that you've got the lens, now that you've got the actual frame, now we can get rid of the butts. This is my favorite butt picture. No more butts. I know I misspelled it. It's okay. Okay. What, the butts, right? Here, let me give you, I'm going to do three with you tonight. We won't do nine. We'll do three and we'll do them fast. But we're going to look at the actual test. Here's the butts we're going to get rid of. We're going to take them away from you because they are not what the Bible's teaching. Here's the first but. You're saved if you personally obey. Right? And the, 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 the passage that they're using is from Second John. Uh, 1 John 2. Sorry. And by this, verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Keep going and just get the whole flavor. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Okay, again, you've got to start with the frame, right? The frame, he said, is that you sin. What is sin? Not keeping commandments. So do you keep the commandments? He's already told you that you don't. You don't. In order to get around this, interpreters get go all crazy with the word keep. Well, you, you keep, you treasure them. No, not that, 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 it doesn't mean that, that you know you don't do it, but you honor them somehow, like you bow before them or you, you write them on your, your, your tassels or you put them on your doorpost. They, that's the reason why they did those things. Your word have I hidden in my heart. I keep in your word so that I might not sin against you. He means obey. You know that you have come to know him if you obey and and. The truth that I already know from the beginning is that I don't obey. Trying is not enough. Partial is not enough. He's not saying if you try to obey him, that's the great change that people have to make because if you don't make that, you know that you have no hope, but he's, he's killing you and there's no escape. Wait, maybe there is an escape. What haven't I done with you at all? What did I say was so important? I repeated it three times. Context. 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 What's the context? Well, John does this a lot. He likes to do it. I feel like he puts the context up front, and then he gives you this. So some of like he does it in reverse. Back up with me. He started chapter 2 this way, just a, two verses ahead, right? What did he say? My little children, he writes to them, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. No one wants anyone to sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Did you see that? He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, the law has no hope for you. All it does is say you cannot. But when we walk in the light, what the letter's about, that together we look at each other and we don't see obedient people. We see sinners who are righteous in Christ, who is our advocate. See what he's doing? He's doing long gospel. He did it in a backwards way, but he did it in the right order. Law first, then gospel. <laughs> If you say that you know God, that you walk in the light, and you define that as trying but not actually keeping the commandments, you're a liar, he says. 
That's law. But if you trust Jesus, oh, you're forgiven. That's the gospel. So your hope is not in commandment keeping. It's in the forgiveness of Christ. The action of another, the action of someone outside you. You and I are dead because of sin, but our hope is resurrection life in Jesus. The only sense in which we keep the commandments is he has kept them for us and applied it to us. In me, I don't. In him, I have. Okay, this goes right along with verse 6, right? So you skip ahead to the other side to get the other part of the context. Here it is. By this we may know we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And if you're a student and you start to really think, and we're being serious and we're not just throwing out sound bites, we say, why does he bring up abide? Because it's about being in Christ. You say, well, yeah, but if, if you say you abide in him, you've got to walk like him. Yeah, how did he walk? Well, he was perfectly righteous. Yeah, that's true. He also didn't have a home. He also didn't have children. He also wasn't married. Which one of those ways are you going to be like Jesus? I think what he's getting at is the way of Philippians 2, where it says that Jesus Christ emptied himself, didn't consider being like God worthy. That's the way. It's humility, right? It's you and I saying, I have no ability of my own at all. I am totally dependent on the Father. You and I are totally dependent on Jesus. Walk like he walked, will you? Don't think you're doing it. Trust him. It goes along. So, so there's one, but at least there you can start to see, wait a minute, there's more to this than just a test for me to see if I'm a Christian. There's more. There's another but. Here's another one. You're saved. Oh, it's about what you're doing. If you sin less, this is a particularly um, important one in our day. I feel like we get talked a lot about in our circles about progressive holiness and what people really mean is progressive righteousness. They mean more and more good behavior in your life. So if you avoid sin more and more, you are more and more righteous, you are more and more practically acting out right good things, then you can have confidence that you are going to heaven. Right? And, and they're getting that from 1 John. Look, verse 29 of chapter 2. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Wow. Finally. This feeds my flesh a lot because, I, like I said, I love the word practice. And I think practice makes perfect because you can do it over and over. And the first time you see that patient with, that needs that procedure, they don't get a very good procedure from you but by the time you've done it a thousand times you do it really well i feel really bad for the first person i did a vasectomy on i felt really good by the time we done 100 i won't tell you the first person's name if you get to listen to this i'm very sorry <laughs> because practice right practice we know and so we think okay well what he's talking about is hey we just as long as we're trying to be righteous we're okay that's how i take this first You know what I'm missing? I'm missing defining my terms. Because you go to the actual Greek and you look at it, the word practice is not there. It doesn't say practice. It says do. It's the Greek word for do. 
He who does righteous things is righteous. Now try. It's a very strong statement of the righteous person does good things. Doesn't try to do good things. That's not the sense of this passage, even a little bit. That's us reading into the word practice because of how we because how we're so desperate to lower the bar. We want to say it's about am I trying? Am I trying? Are you trying? That's what I think it is. By the way, if you really take this strongly, if, if you're really there, if that, that's what you think, then, then you have to agree that everyone who practices good deeds has been born of God. Just, just take that formula. Let's just proof text it together for a minute. Isn't it fun? Um, do you guys know what Buddhism is? I, I've heard of Buddhism. It's the eightfold path. There are eight things that you do. Right thinking, right doing, right acting, right being. And so as the person, if the person in Buddhism does that, do you know that that person has been born of him, right? Because that's what the verse says. Because that's where you've got to go if you're going to... Anybody who does good things, if somebody you look at and they're doing good things, they've been born of him. So because that's such a problem, and we know that can't be true, because these people have no idea about Jesus, and in fact reject Jesus Christ, you say, that person's... No, 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 that can't be right. So therefore you slip to another position and you say, okay, well, let's look at it this way. There is nobody who does any good except for the Christian. So when you walk the little old lady across the street, that's good. But when the other person walks the little lady across the street, that's bad. Why? Well, because, um, I don't know, because my heart is better. There's a reason why you can say that's true. That has nothing to do with the reason why people are saying that. They're saying it because they're judging the person and they cannot say that the person's good because that would be works righteousness. And so what instead we want to say is that we as Christians go back to works righteousness to see if, if indeed in me, in me, is birth something where I have merit because of what I am doing in me. And we want to just have a little help from the Holy Spirit who's going to help me on this pathway to betterment. Right? You've heard this, and if you've been around at all, you've heard us talk about it, you're done. Uh, Ferdy called it the, the, the theology of glory, right? The pathway to climb and climb and climb and to you to be better and onward Christian soldiers and we're marching to glory and, and getting ourselves better and, and that's what we think and uh, the pathway, I'll tell you, it stinks because practice righteousness is translating a phrase that just means do. No try, only do. That just takes the wind out of my sails, really. Why? Because if you think about the Bible and you think about what we stand on and every person who even preaches this as, as tests, they take it this way too. They say justification is a real thing. Justification by grace. There is no one who does good, Romans says. No, not one. <laughs> That, so this cannot mean that. It cannot mean that there's no one good who does good. No, not one. Except for you after you pray to prayer. Look at the context with me, will you? Look. Look, look, look. We know that 
that, that, that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Go to the next verse. There's no chapter breaks in the Greek. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. What's he saying? I'm a child of God. Why? Because he says so. Whoa. That has nothing to do with whether I'm practicing stuff. This this is amazing. We're children of God because he's given us his love. The reason why the world doesn't know us, it didn't know him. He goes on to say, right? It's just marvelous. We're God's children right now because he said so, not by our works, but by his works. We don't look like what we look like now, right? He says, did I get that in there? Did you see it? No, I think it skipped over it. But if you know, this is the passage where it says, right, we don't know what we're going to be like, but we're going to be like him because we'll see him as he is. That's this passage. When he appears. This is coming to you and me, John writes. That's the opposite of a test. And you've got to look at verse 4 in this light, in the light of him saying, we are children of God. We are going to be like Jesus. We're not like him yet. And it says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there's no sin Again, whenever you see in verse 4 like that, you say everyone who makes a practice of of sinning also practices lawlessness. Yeah, just put in do. Everyone who does sin also does lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. You're like, yeah, no, duh. Every time you sin, you break the law. I broke the law today. I break it all the time. It's not a small thing. It's a huge thing. This beautiful law, I I still act against it. It continues to condemn me. It's the illuminator. It's the standard. It's the mirror. Do I sin? Yes, and I break the law. It's way worse, may I say, than breaking wind. (laughs) I just had to say something to make you laugh. This is heavy stuff. It's really heavy stuff. There's no escape. There's not saying if you habitually sin, right? That's inserted. Why why do we insert that into the text? Because we're so desperate to make it something I can do. It's not there. It doesn't say everyone who habitually sins practices lawlessness. Like somehow you don't practice lawlessness if you just did the little sin. Somehow when you got frustrated and lashed out just a little bit with your kid, that was okay. But that person who robbed a bank for the third time, they're toast. That's not what it's saying, right? You get that. That's not what it's saying. Hold hold that thought and look at verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. There's no sin in Jesus, and he came to take them away, right? And that, the Bible just said, that the context just said two verses ago, that's what we're going to be when we see him as he is. It's so strong that we say that is our new life. By word of promise, Jesus says he does it, and when we see him in the future, when he appears... But on with our look at this. Just finish this. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. I I just, again, 
You've got to go to the Greek. You've got to say, I'm going to do the work. You've got to go because keeps on isn't there. Why did they put it there? Because they're desperate to do what? To say a little sin's okay, but if you keep on doing it, that's bad. What's that doing? That's taking the law and going, okay, one sin, you're still keeping the law, but 15 sins and you've broken the law. He just said any sin is lawless. And this is just the simple present tense. Can you, can you, can you somehow translate? Yeah, but you'd do better just translating it. Um, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. That's the best translation in Greek that you can make of that verse. It's not parsable. It's just present tense, sins. If you sin, you don't know him. Did you sin? What's the answer? In me, in my flesh, in my life, in my day, the answer has to be yes. And not only my answer is yes, but your answer is yes. And your answer, and your answer, and your answer, and just the three people I pointed, all the four of us, we're the bad guys, we'll leave. No, everybody in this whole room, we're all sinners. All, we put us all in the same boat, all of us. We've sinned. We cannot claim in ourselves that we're even here. The only chance I have is what? What was the frame again? Oh, yeah, I remember the frame. If I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. What's my hope? The forgiveness and cleansing of Jesus that also applies, it was a plural, to us. In Christ, I'm what? Forgiven. Cleansed. I have no sin. The law has nothing more to say to me. This is what Martin Luther called the simile, right? The exact same time, in the flesh, here I am, I'm working. I don't say, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm loving God and loving people and me. Look at me go, chug, chug, chug. No, I, 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 I receive the condemnation of the law all the time. It says, no, no, no. It drives me to the other side. So my only hope is 100% of the time, I'm also this. I'm in Christ. It's the answer. Keep going just a little bit more. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever does righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Right? He's closing off the root. Route? I always pronounce that wrong. There's there's no way. He's saying, don't be deceived. If you do righteousness, you're righteous. There's no try but do. The answer is no. He's destroying any hope in your own works. Absolutely the opposite of how it's being presented in so many pulpits. It's not consider your try at goodness, a good work. But you should not consider your works good in yourself ever. So the effect of this whole paragraph in 1 John is to show you that sin is horribly against God and there's deception going on. And the deception is that your little sin isn't really all that bad and and this other person's habitual sin is terrible, but your little faux pas isn't that condemning. No, you daily and I daily, moment by moment, don't have the desires God have. Ah, Habitual sin, I still have that too. Jesus saves you and me. And this thought that's crept in from the outside, from from planted into the text to say, if you practice, if you try, if you'll avoid pitfalls, you'll be okay. But if you don't, well, I guess that means you weren't really his, is just an absolute lie, right? 
Guess where your confidence is going to be if that's what you think? Your confidence is going to be in you. That's the only that's the only choice you really have. How am I doing? You will be deceived. And that's what the devil has been doing since the beginning. Not trusting God, trusting himself. Okay, one more button, we're done. This is heavy sledding, but it's heavy sledding with a purpose. Because if you actually go to the Bible, you actually look at the text, you actually say, okay, what does it mean? And you come out with something so different than what our cultural Christianity continues to push at us over and over and over. Here's the last one. If you're... If you love more, then you can know you're saved. This particular hard one, because God is love. We're told over and over, Jesus said, love, love one another. When the, the guy came, remember the guy came up to Jesus and he said, uh, what, what, what should I do to go to heaven? He says, what do you think? He says, well, I think I should do the law. Which is, What's the law? I said, I think I should love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I should love people as myself. And the guy says, Jesus, my guy, my Savior, Jesus, he said, that's a great answer. And, and I take from that, okay, I'm going to do it. I take from that, that's the command of God in my life. If I can just do that, I'll be okay. I, I don't think it through. I don't think it through that that's actually a summary of the Ten Commandments. That's actually the, the exact summary, the, the best most pithy statement of the law that we have, I don't understand that the Bible actually says that no man ever is justified by works of the law, ever. And I start to get to work on doing that because Jesus told me to, so I must be able to. He wouldn't give me something that I can't accomplish in myself. Except the Bible says you don't. So let, look at it with me. It says in verse 7 of chapter 4, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Who, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You cannot miss this message. God is love. Love is from God. If you love, you've been born of God. If you don't, you don't know God. The wonder and the value of love, love is where it's at. It's fantastic. By the way, the message of every religion Can I say that? If we would just care for each other? The message of secular democracy? Care for, if we could just get people to care for one another instead of being selfish? That, that's what we need, right? All you need is love. It's a Beatles song. We, it's great. It, so you measure that. Are you doing a good job in your relationships? Parents and kids and spouse and fellow man and showing love personally and putting others first. And if you are... Then you're God's. That's this thought, right? There's the message that you and I hear. It boils down again to the same exact problem in every single case. What is it? Works righteousness. It does. It has the benefit, I suppose, of having this proof text. Show love. Manifest love yourself. And this is the proof of your life except, again, when you look at the context. Will you look at the context with me? Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest. Oh, manifest means shown. So in this, the love of God was shown. In the good deeds you've done for your fellow man. Whoops. <laughs> Wrong Bible. Let me actually read the passage. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. You see what he's saying? The life that I have, the love that I know, is just the love of God it's through Jesus. This is the life that, I, it's not my love, it's not anything I, it's not me loving greatly. It's only that I, I live because I understand love is God giving Jesus which allows me, by trusting him, by receiving this gift, to, to what? To have life through him, not through me. It's amazing, isn't it? In fact, it keeps going. In this is love. Oh, the most greatest, the most wondrous thing. Not that we have loved God, but I thought my task was to love God. That was what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, but you don't, you see. This is love. This is love. Let me tell you what love is. Not that you have loved God, but, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Wow. Love is Jesus loving us. Love is the Father loving us. Love is not we loving. This is not, oh, Jesus loved us, so we should try harder. Right? This, this passage says you're the object, not the subject of love. It doesn't take away the obligation. It doesn't take away the beauty of the law. It doesn't take the way on your flesh that you might see. The very best way always is to love. And some of us do much better than others. And, and, and then you start to say, well, my love quotient is 89 and yours is 62. I get 14 more gold stars in heaven than you. That's not what it's saying, right, at all. It's saying, it's actually, that's a terrible way to think because you fail at love. And the love that you know is the love that Jesus has for you. That, that's what I receive. I fail the love test, and therefore I'm driven to the only hope I have. I'm over here in my flesh. I'm thinking, yeah, I feel the law. I know I ought to love. I'm not taking away even one iota from the beauty of you and I needing to love I just, if I'm honest and look at the mirror and the law does its work, which is to condemn me, it shows me I can't love. And I'm pushed in tears to where I receive love. The love of God in Christ for me. Have you received it? What does it mean to receive it? Have you heard? Have you heard the word? Have you partaken of the body and blood of Christ? Together we receive him, right? That's what we're doing, receiving him. It's the only hope we have. And so there we are. And, and, and if there's any love, if there's any real love, it's only as we really live in the trust that he just loves me, period, as I am. In myself, I continue to be a liar. If I say that my love is grounds for my being saved, if I say my love is evidence of my being saved, because anyone can do acts of love. But the Christian... Oh, he hears you must love. She hears she must love. And she says, oh, I must have a Savior. Okay. These are the buts. I just hope you've seen today that the tests that they're bringing, coming up with are really something quite different. The purpose that John writes for is to receive the love of Christ, to trust the love of Christ, that this is life now and forever, that you and I, by the work of the wondrous law, stay humble, not as a virtue, as a reality, 
We have no other hope. We're a broken group of ragamuffins. That's what real life grace is. We realize we've seen it. We've seen our lives are in shatters. We've seen that we're not like conquering mountains. We've seen that in reality, our only hope is that someone comes outside the camp to us lepers and says, I adore you. I treasure you. So these are not tests. These are highlights of how we can only hope in Christ. They're all the same. You're saved if you obey more. You're saved if you sin less. You're saved if you love more. Because in every case, what they're trying to get you to do is to put yourself in the game. And the reality is, honestly, you do. I'm so bad at this. And then I hear again, from you to me, from me to you, I hear again, my only hope is Jesus. And I remember, you know what? I am falling apart. I am not who I should be. And what I really need is to receive and to know I am loved by the King. And when I receive that, these statements of John push me into the arms of Jesus. He has done these things. He has obeyed. He never sins. He loves without restraint. And these are mine. And I am perfect. Because Jesus Christ says so. This is our faith. So this, this, it is finished. Jesus forgives you. By his blood, you are clean. This is the truth I get to proclaim to you today that you are saved in receiving him. It is a gift. And we stand together because it helps to be together. We have trouble standing alone to say, yeah, this is it. This is where we are. Jesus Christ has done it all. And it doesn't mean I'm perfect in any way. In fact, I know I'm not. I'll never be. doesn't mean I don't love to see how great the law is. It's a beautiful thing. It just condemns me. I wanted to end with this. Um... This is, uh, this is me when I was young and skinny. You probably can't pick out who, which one's me. I've used this at church, but this is a nice way that summarizes to me what we've been talking about tonight. So um, when I was in, in college, I came in as a runner, but I went out for crew, and we came in a bunch of ragtag people, and we started rowing, and it was not a good thing. We did, I didn't know how to row. But over the course of the winter, going out at 6 in the morning and spending hours at night and I was supposed to study in between and I, I didn't really but I acted like I did and I went and slowly we, we went from being a ragtag group of people who couldn't row into people who were really good at rowing my, my um, sophomore year that's that we won everything we went to Henley that's Henley that's in England we won the national championship in lightweight rowing it was awesome and we went through hard work and effort over time to be good that's what I am tempted to think Christian life is. I'm tempted to think that what God's purpose for you and me is, that he will take a ragtag group of people and slowly clean us up. I get discouraged because my life doesn't seem to go that way, and I start to doubt if I'm really his, because surely what God will do is get me better and better. And God says, stop calling me Shirley. <laughs> because really it's more like this, right? Really it's more like, there's a group of ragtag people who come and 
start rowing and you just watch them row and sometimes they seem to have it together and they seem to go forward and sometimes they just knock each other off and they fall into the lake. And over time they don't seem to get a whole lot better. And you go up and you're so frustrated because you think they're supposed to be better. So you go up and you say, man, these people are supposed to be better. How come they're not being better? The coach says, I don't think you understand. Now, again, you maybe heard this. It's one of my favorite things. These people are terminal. There are a bunch of kids we took from the hospital who have terminal leukemia. And we thought, what a great thing that they could learn to row together a little bit. They could have fun. They could breathe fresh air. They could enjoy the environment that they're in. And we stuck them in this boat, and we let them row around a little bit. But guess what? We're not even going to enter them in a race. They're just enjoying the moments that they have until they die. That's Christianity, right? We're dying. The truth of the matter is, Jesus Christ says he will raise us from the dead. We're on a ride. I have no will of my own to make myself live. I have no means. I just have trust in the word of God by promise that he says he will make me live. And thus, I would change this. Can I have confidence? Is the but. And, 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 and because I'm a mess, and if I look at my life and I say, I'm not doing those tests. I'm not practicing sin less and less. I'm not, I'm not getting better and better. So therefore, I can't have confidence and I must fail. If I listen to that man, I'm not saved. And I want you to take that slide and throw it away. It's not the Bible. It's not the word. Here's the word. My confidence rests in what Jesus says. This is the amazing yes of 1 John. There is no but. There is only yes and amen. Because Jesus Christ has died for you. And you will live. I want to pray. Father, thanks that we could even think about 1 John and think about this but that invades us, that we struggle with, we struggle with ourselves. This inward turn, Father, help us, save us. Help us again to receive the wonder who is Jesus and to know that he's for us and to proclaim it loudly and to believe it, Lord, because it's true.